Welcome to the Wildlife Experience. This is your host, Andrew Austin. In this episode, I interview Matt McCall. Matt is a friend of mine from back home. Um, we went to school together, um, did a lot of sports together, and uh, spent a lot of time in the outdoors together. We, uh, we initially started hanging out, um, doing a lot of field herping, um, kind of got him into that. And, uh, but we have a shared interest in, in duck hunting in particular. Um, Matt is a very passionate waterfowl hunter. And uh, so this episode is primarily about waterfowl. Uh, we talk about some different aspects of duck hunting, um, some different strategies and techniques to, to be very successful hunting waterfowl, um, you know, cooking and eating waterfowl, public land versus private land, um, some of the basics you need to be a successful duck hunter. Uh, really just, um, all manner of duck hunting, uh, which is a lot to cover. And I uh, really enjoyed this conversation with Matt. Um, and I think you guys will enjoy it as well. Uh, so now I bring you Matt McCall. All right. I'm here with Matt McCall. What's up, brother? What's going on, man? Glad to be here. You're going to be my uh, second hunter episode. So this should be good. <clears throat> um, start out, uh, tell people where you're from in the world and you can kind of, um, you know, we, we can describe our relation, our friendship, you know, at some point, um, it's kind of background stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I live in, uh, in Hampshire, Texas. It's about an hour East of, uh, Houston. And, um, I've lived here my whole life, born and raised it's kind of a, uh, small little area tucked over here and between Beaumont and Houston, just North of the, uh, the marsh on the Gulf coast here. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, and I've known you, we went to school together and yep. our paths have crossed, uh, multiple times throughout our outdoor experiences and, and getting into different things here and there. And so shoot, we started, uh, started as friends in high school and then we dabbled a little bit with the, uh, with the reptiles and, and the alligators. And, and then here we are again, uh, just getting together to share some experiences and, uh, chop it up a little bit and drop some knowledge man, yeah, uh, man. i think our i think when we, we we i remember we uh we were in cross country together and you were really good at that and uh we, oh, we yeah that back was then uh, <laughs> and you were uh you, you took a while to grow you're much shorter than me then you shot up and you're like you know however tall you are now way taller than me oh yeah that's but, taking uh, it way back <laughs> yeah i was like sixth seventh grade but then when we actually started hanging out outside of school it was um i took you started getting into herping more you started getting into snakes and and then uh, we did a, a herping competition that I put on at Gator Country. It was like a one-week oh, competition with as many species of snakes as you can get. That uh, I really took the field herping for a long time there, man. That was, yeah. a, it was a lot of fun getting out there and getting out into the, uh, the outdoors. Yeah. Found and ourselves just... in some uh, strange places, man. <laughs> yeah. We certainly did. Um, and, yeah, you come from a hunting and fishing background, but – the carryover to field herping was very easy for you as it would be for a lot of people if they were introduced to it. Yeah. Um, man, I think just, well, for us, we kind of took a big leap right there into it because, uh, you know, I think we both knew about each other that we were, um, you know, we were quick to get ourselves into uncomfortable, uh, situations and habitats that yeah. maybe weren't just like a walk in the park to go and, and do. And so we put ourselves in, into some really harsh habitats and, and got out there into some really, uh, into One some really strange spots, man. We really went all out to go and do these things. So 
Um, the one the one that really sticks out to me when we we're doing the the herping competition we were determined to get a salt marsh snake and we we walked the, the anawak marsh salt marsh in the middle of the summer barefoot like a mile yeah, was, in uh, mile there mile back it was probably the worst experience in the marsh going yeah barefoot. i'm not i'm not too keen to do that one again that was a that was a rough one man but those are those are good memories man um and then we man i don't know how we we didn't really duck on a whole lot together like in high school um but we started hunting together this season we went out i guess two or three weeks ago pretty rough hunt but you know it was great to finally get out and duck hunt together yeah and the conditions weren't too terrible either for the the hunt that was made being you know a walk-in hunt and having to to get out there and do that it was all around i I wouldn't uh i call that a win man yeah i mean we, we killed ducks and it felt good outside so um so there's that um so yeah let's just let's get right into duck hunting when did you get into duck hunting uh so the first duck hunt i ever did was was really not much of a duck hunt it was more of like a it's almost like you would imagine a a dove hunt uh we went and sat on a levee at a reservoir and um just kind of caught them flying by we didn't have any decoys and so from that point forward i was like okay what is what is duck hunting really about you know what is what is a real duck hunt like so uh the very next year um the next season that came around we got into the uh into the rice over here in in south china and we had a rice field over there that didn't really hold a lot of birds but we were able to kind of get you know we had a blind in we flooded the field and we did all that uh you know at that point we're super inexperienced and so management was like not something that we were you know experienced with at all we just figured okay we got water and food and we'll put a blind in and kill ducks and that wasn't the case and that was when i was um that was when i was 14 uh i did that with my brother and my dad and, uh 15 you know we started uh once we started driving and and having friends that were getting their driver's licenses and stuff then we were able to kind of get out and explore the, the public land and the the um the wildlife refuges that we had able to hunt uh, around us and so we started doing that pretty heavily walking in and then that quickly turned into us buying boats and, and really being able to access all this public stuff that we have around us. So, yeah. And we're, we're very lucky, <clears throat> excuse me. We're very lucky in uh, Jefferson County and, and on the upper Texas coast, we have tons of public marsh. We got Anahuac, Texas point, McFadden national wildlife refuges, JD Murphy's wildlife management area. And there, there's a couple more. Um, so if you, if you don't have, private land that's not an issue and some people really prefer the public land because it's a it's a real grind you know and it's just a different experience than than being on a duck lease yeah i think there's something to be said about that man um like like i said whenever we first started it was something that was like a you know you almost expect to just show up and kill birds and that's just simply not the case when you're out here on public land Uh, you know you got to put your time in it's it's a little bit more difficult in the um you know, in the situations that we hunt in to, to do a lot of scouting and with the rules and regs, not allowing you onto the refuge during certain times throughout the year. Um, it's a little more difficult, but it makes it that much more satisfying when you're actually able to, uh, to scout and find birds. And a lot of that happens during the hunt too. You know, if you see I'm hunting over here and there's, um, you know, all the birds are working over here, why are they doing that? And, uh, you know, what are, what are the conditions and what's causing that? So, but that grind, man, is, uh, when it pays off, you definitely want to get back out there and, and do it again. Yeah. What, what was it that really hooked you? So like you got into it when you were 14, 15 years old, 
you kind of had some subpar experiences, but man, you're like a passionate duck hunter. Now you're chasing ducks, like, you know, in Oklahoma and Kansas traveling around. What, ho- what hooked you? Yeah, man. I, um, well, I think for me, it was like, um, the, the early years, dude, I get the, the really, the hook set for me was, um, we used to hunt a lot of these, um, I won't go refuge specifics for the guys that are still out there and doing well, but, uh, we used to do a lot of these big walk-in hunts, man, before we had, uh, the kind of access that we do with, with our boats and, and being able to drive and go up North now, but man, to go out there, uh, with a group of your friends, uh, and I'm hunting now with the same guys that I've hunted with since I was 14, 15 years old, uh, to go out there and to go walk two miles into the marsh and to come out with, you know, just for all that hard work to pay off, come out with a full limit of birds and do that consistently. I mean, and it was like, we got to that high and, um, you know, early on we were able to do that. And from that point forward, it's just like, you know, even on the lows, you know, I know, I know what the payoff is. And so it was like, once I was hooked at that point, I could have gone a whole season after that without killing another bird and I'd have still been out there the next year. So there's so much to the duck hunting experience. It's, uh, you know, it's just getting out there with your buddies. It's the marsh ecosystem. It's, it's, it's manipulating a bird, that bird's behavior in a way that allows you to harvest it. There's, there's so much to say about duck hunting. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think the experience for me is, is really based on, you know, the people and the experiences that I have with, with my close friends and family when I'm out there, you can easily go out there with somebody you're not comfortable with or familiar with, and and that could put a bad taste in your mouth for it as well. So, so being with the right people and, uh, that, that makes a whole world of difference. And like, especially when I hunt with you, somebody that really appreciates the wildlife, and it, it can put you in a really good mindset to, yeah. you know, maybe not, maybe not say, man, I'm, I know there's a lot of guys that like to say, oh, I'm sitting out here and it's cold and we ain't seen a duck and, you know, but when you're out, when you're out there with somebody who has a, a positive mindset and is really a true outdoorsman and is just happy to be there, man, that, that can do wonders for you. And that's how I try. I try to be that guy for, for everybody that I hunt with. So, yeah, I mean, you got it in your blood, man. You, I always, always thought, um, uh, out of all the friends I've kind of gotten into herping and, and, and kind of took to an interest, but kind of drifted off. Um, you were one of the, the main people that I honestly could have seen being a biologist. You, you decided to take a different route in your personal career, but you got that, that outdoorsman spirit in your blood, you know, appreciation for the outdoors, not just the game you're chasing, but all the other aspects of it as well. Yeah, man. And I, I don't know. Um, I really don't truly know where that began. Uh, like you said, I guess it's just in my blood, man. I, yeah. I've always loved being out there and <clears throat> even on the, even on the worst and most miserable days, man, I'm still out there and I'm still enjoying myself. So. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so there's, there's so much to talk about with duck hunting. You know, there's, there's, you know, you got decoys, you got calls, you got, you know, fancy camouflage, Let's talk about some duck hunting, some, some duck hunting strategies. And, um, for people that don't know anything about duck hunting, what are some of the most important things to consider when you're trying to, when you're trying to harvest ducks, when you're trying to get ducks to come in range into your decoy spread, what what are things you think about that are most important? Well, it's, you can't really generalize, uh, duck hunting in like a super broad sense it's a lot of situational uh differences based on you know where you're located and 
you know, a lot of nuance, a lot of nuance. Yeah. Whether or not you have a, you know, you're in a, you're in a location where you've got a lot of birds traffic in your area and, you know, traffic on the flyway. But, um, I don't know, man, I think if I was going to go to a new area and, um, and try to kill birds and, and have success in waterfowl hunting, I would just definitely say now, it's like I said earlier, it's hard to do in different situations. Uh, the way we do it around here is a little bit different, but scouting is a, is a huge thing. Um, getting out, you know, kind of, kind of getting a broad sense of, of how many birds are in the area, uh, where they are, why they're there, you know, are they, are they staying there all day? Are they feeding there? Are they loafing there? You know, what's, what's the deal? So, whenever I go back and try to hunt, um, you know, if I'm going to go try to hunt a pond, maybe I saw 200 birds on it, but you know, maybe five minutes after I left, they went and hit a feed or they were just roosting there or, or loafing or whatever. So and like I said, here, it's a little bit different. Um, you kind of have to do a lot of your scouting while you're hunting, but scouting, scouting is a big thing I would say. And then also, um, weather conditions, man. Um, if, if you've got birds like we have them out down here in the marsh, if they're just sitting on the rice all day, you know, or if they're getting pushed off of the rice and there's other hunters in the area moving birds around, uh, I think those, all those different factors kind of play into the traffic of, of what the yeah. birds are going to do. And yeah, so yeah, I can never, the, the, the scientist in me always has a hard time believing broad generalizations that people make when they have a bad hunt or a good hunt They're, they attribute their success to one variable or another variable. There's so many variables, you know, yeah, there's, there's it's, it's, ducks are smart. You know, they, I feel like they're very movement oriented. Um, I think they see movement really well. Um, I don't even know if, I mean, can't, the real fancy camouflage maybe helps, but I don't know how much it makes a difference. I think movement when they see people looking up at them, they see that, that face look up at them. They, they must key in on that sort of stuff. Still decoys on a still water, stuff like that all complain yeah it's a it's definitely a game of, of variables because you know you may go out uh one week and you know figure the birds out and then you know a week from then it's a whole different ball game you know there's yeah. there's the weather's changed the pressure's changed you know everything is is constantly changing and so there's things like you said with um with the camo and and being in the blind and showing your face those are things that you can control yeah there's a lot of things that are that are really out of your hands um but as far as the motion goes, there's, there's a lot of little tips and tricks and, and there's tons of new stuff out on the market nowadays for you to be able to control things that 10 years ago, you would have had no part in, yeah. you know, controlling your decoy movement, um, you know, giving them, giving them that little flash with, you know, a mojo or a jerk rig or something. And I think those definitely help. Yeah. I think they definitely help in, in the right situation. Ultimately being where the birds have been feeding and hanging out is, is a big driver of success. I believe so. Yeah. If you want to, if you go into a pond where, I mean, birds may be loafing, there may be no food there, maybe nothing for them in a, you know, in just a mud pond with, with, you know, nothing, no food. Yeah. Uh, they may come in there to loaf and, you know, you've got a couple dozen decoys out there. And the biggest thing I noticed you said earlier is cover. Um, yep. anytime, anytime, if I could give anybody a tip, somebody who's never waterfowl hunted before, try your absolute hardest to cover yourself because you could have taken an extra 10 minutes to to really brush in and to make sure that you're not going to be seen and that 10 minutes of effort that you didn't give doing that will ruin you'll sit out there for three hours and wonder why you're not killing birds the cover is a huge thing 
and, and masking your silhouette. I feel like they really key in on human silhouettes, standing mm-hmm. human out in the marsh with no cover. Yeah. Like not that only flares them every time. Yeah. You don't only want to have, you know, I know guys that'll say, Oh, you know, we're covered in the front and it's kind of gappy or whatever. And you know, the sun may be coming up and you got, you got a big, you're pushing a shadow over here and you're not covered from this direction. <laughs> it's gotta be all angles, man. Um, you gotta be hit from all angles. It's Dr. Smart, man. They, they're migrating from, from the prairie pothole region up, up into Canada. They're migrating down. They're getting shot at along the way. Many of them, by the time they get to the upper Texas coast, they've seen it all, you know, they've, They've been through the ringer. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Uh, sometimes, you know, you can imagine. Some of them are fresh. Someone got to be fresh, too. Not everyone. Yeah, you can imagine uh, all of the pressure that they face coming all the way from Canada, making it down to the uh, the Texas coastal region. And it's it's hard to think that those birds with the amount of hunters in the industry now uh, or in the industry, I say, like the amount of waterfowl hunters uh, nowadays, man, it's, it's hard to imagine that you're going to get a group of birds that hasn't been shot at or hasn't, you know, seen some kind of pressure like that. But, um, I think that, I think that also kind of goes into, you know, if when the birds come in, if, uh, if they give you a look and they see nothing that makes them think otherwise, you know, if they feel comfortable coming in then you know, they may work like they've never been shot at before. And that's just you doing your job. You, that means, you know, you've done good hiding yourself and, uh, and putting out a spread that makes them comfortable. Yeah. I think a lot about spreads and I have a lot of fun put, putting out very realistic decoys, making it look like how ducks hang out when they're out in the marsh feeding or, or hanging out. Um, but I always wonder how, how, how much ducks actually care. Like they, they, they don't see things through the same lens as us, you know? Yeah. I, um, I've had this conversation so many times with people I've seen, and I've seen guys have success over stuff that just looks ridiculous, right? Like you yeah. would never see a duck. You would never see a big wad of ducks just spread out in a big grid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like some guys like to do that. And I honestly, I, I've seen some spreads like that in passing, you know, in and out of the marsh. Um, and I, I kind of wonder, man, are these guys actually killing birds? This looks ridiculous. They've got, you know, a hundred pintail drake uh decoys spread 100 yards in every direction and they're all evenly spaced they look like a they just look real blocky and that's just i don't know you know if if that's how they like to hunt and yeah you know more power to them but i i try to get realistic uh with my spread i don't i don't like to to push them out too far and really space my decoys too crazy i like them to be kind of rafted and you know in like a almost like you would see them if you were just going to go out and observe yeah. And well, it depends on the habitat too. If you're like in some potholes and stuff, maybe you can switch them up. Um, or if you're out in open water, you know, make it look like the rafting or all see that sort of stuff. I think it's fun and I really enjoy putting thought into decoys. I just always wonder how much it actually matters. We may never know if it actually matters, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I think there, there's a point where uh, within the first few groups, you'll know if something's wrong, yeah, you know, right. if, if, if yes. something's wrong and you need to change it, but, um, that is kind of something I guess you could have a broad spectrum on is, is your decoy yeah. spread because there's, everybody's got a different opinion on that and, and how they like to, to set their spread. But yeah. it's just, if you've got quality, uh, you know, and, and even going back to the realism of the decoys, I've, I've keep tabs on some guys out in Louisiana that still hunt over uh, like carved wooden decoys that 
they don't look any, you know, yeah. if you get up close to them, they don't look anything like a bird, but the silhouette on the water will, will bring them in. So, yeah. Well, just to add to the nuance here, <clears throat> not all ducks are, uh, have equal intelligence either. Certain ducks that have been heavily pressured, they're like pintail, for example, there, there has been a selective pressure for them because they've been so sought after that they're smarter than other ducks. They, they are very picky about what they'll come down to. Unlike a, you know, a lesser scop or something, which will literally come to a, 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 a spread of, of uh, Coke bottles sprayed black, you know? Yeah. And you'll shoot them and they'll come right back around again. <laughs> yeah. They'll just keep coming. So there's, yeah. Different species of ducks are different. I always thought that was so strange, man. Um, Cause you know, it took me years to, um, and I don't know if I just had poor eyesight or what, but now, now I can go out and hunt and I can pretty quickly identify, you know, just based off of, uh, like how the birds are flying or wing feathers, you know, even if I, if I don't even get a, a great look at them, you know, I can kind of tell what's what out there. And, um, but to the untrained eye or to the new hunter, man, it's, it's hard to tell that. So you could have a group of scop come in and, you know, jump up, start shooting them thinking there's something else. And yeah. I can see, I can see a lot of guys, uh, you know, taking a lot of birds like that and for them yeah. to still act that way is just <laughs> kind of crazy to me. Right. And yeah, you just, when you duck hunt long enough, you can tell by the, the, the wing beats and like, just, you can tell by what I call gestalt, like just the way they are, mm -hmm. what, what species it is, you know, how, how high yeah. they're flying. You can um, tell the, uh, like the, the flight pattern and the silhouette, like you yeah, said, the, the wing flight patterns of a, pintail, of a pintail for, you know, from where you, when you can barely see them, they could just be in your, your vision. Oh, there's pintail. Yeah. You just know it. There's something about their, their wing pattern and they, they fly really high oftentimes. Yeah. Uh, you don't see them yeah. flying like, like green wing teal. They, they scoot over the, over the top of that cord grass in the marsh right over the top of it in groups of like 40 or 50 sometimes. And you can, you know, when you see a big group of green wings. Yeah. And the, the, I feel like the wing profile as well, like on a pintail, they're, they're very, they have a very sharp wing profile. Yep. yep. And so, um, yeah, so that's like an identifying, uh, factor that you can kind of take notes on when you're out there, you know, and you'll be able to identify birds better. Tell us what ducks you, you mainly, like when you're hunting the upper Texas coast, what, what are the staple duck species that you like to kill and, and what you often see? What do I like to kill first? I'll start there. Uh, I love, absolutely love to shoot gadwall. I knew that was coming. Oh, I love them, man. I, I, you know, I think they're a very, uh, a very slept on and overlooked duck. They're just, to me, it's one of the most beautiful birds, man. A, a, a plumed out drake or, yep. you know, even, even drakes that are, you know, not what you would consider a, a trophy bird for a gadwall. Just a nice plump head. Uh, I like that that nice burnt orange on the on the wings man it's just beautiful yeah. um i would love to add uh northern shoveler to the list oh there you go matthew yeah man uh <laughs> i as as bad as i've wanted to shoot a, a trophy northern shoveler i still haven't got one yet but we shoot quite a few um and then uh a lot of green wing teal i think the uh i haven't noticed a lot of like blue wing teal traffic i feel like they come in in waves they come through early and then they a lot of them haul ass south yeah um but i feel like um i feel like blue wing teal early is is a big one uh, yeah. especially in the rice fields yeah uh green wing teal and then when we get the widgeon oh man i love oh, shooting widgeon, widgeon. Are cool too man 
Love you know, Widgeon, I, I think we we're talking about it last time we went hunting. Widgeon and Gadwall are very close relatives, and you often see yeah. them hanging out together too. So it, it makes yep. sense. Yeah, I remember talking yeah. about it. But yeah, um, aside from that, man, uh, love a pintail. I think yeah. uh, I think yeah, I answered a question on a live feed uh, yesterday. Somebody asked me what my favorite bird was, and as of right now, I just and I I think this is something that's going to change a hundred times. You know throughout my career as a duck hunter but as of right now it's so hard to beat a a, a plumed out uh drake pintail man yeah i just think they're a very sharp presentable looking uh looking duck yeah and they're and they're harder to they're harder to hunt you know um at least in my experience maybe i just i'm just a terrible duck hunter but i actually haven't killed that many pintail and and it's really a bummer <laughs> man it's it kind of goes back to um to like the, the pressure thing that we talked about, you know, pintail in my experience, like you said, have been very, uh, hard to, uh, to actually harvest, to get them in and, and to bring them down to your spread. But we had one year, um, I think it was three years ago now where we were killing limits of pintail on every single hunt. And I've never seen anything like it. It was like that for the entire season. We had a whole mess of pintail. And, uh, after those first few hunts, we were saying, okay, we're going to have pintail. Let's, we got to pick and choose and make sure we're let's, you know, kill our drakes and, and be picky about our birds. And we did that throughout the entire season. We shot limits of pintail on almost every hunt. It was, uh, it was crazy to me. Yeah. I haven't seen anything like it since. I think I've only seen one time a big group of pintail decoy, like 10 plus decoy. And that was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. And, and, and as an outdoorsman and a naturalist, um, I really wish I would have had my camera We're we're already, we already killed our limit of pintail, um, which is depending on the year is usually one or two per person. Um, so yeah, we were just watching them come in, man. And that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah, man. It's when they fully commit to it and they get down and start hovering over that water, man, that those drakes will drop their, their tail end down. And it looks like, it looked like some hornets coming in there or something with stingers, yeah. you know, trying to sting the water. It's, it's crazy the way that they do it, man. It's definitely something to behold. And that's what makes like a, what makes a trophy Drake pintail is that, is that tail feather, that sprig, um, a mature bird will have a long, very long sprig or even a double sprig. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, <clears throat> I've heard a lot about the double sprig and the, the stigma around that. And, you know, people saying, that you know he's a stud if he's got two i've seen a lot of them with um now i I don't know the uh you know the absolute um genetics of a pintail but i've seen a lot of pintail like i want to say almost every pintail that i've seen that's a drake they have multiple sprigs it's just a matter of of the uh the length of you know whether or not those two sprigs are both yeah i got you yeah yeah one of them will often be longer you didn't mention mallards and mallards are a big deal for a lot of hunters around north america but they're not much of a deal for us down on on the texas coast well i think i think yes they're not much of a deal but they're also a big deal right and they're not much of a deal in the sense that we don't get a lot of them yeah um but they're a big deal in anymore yeah you talk to old timers back in the i wouldn't know that would have been before my time 60s and 70s apparently mallards canada geese were not uncommon down here so i had um my uh my soon-to-be wife's uh brother-in-law has his uh i think his grandpa's hunting journal he kept uh kept the journal from 
hunting on Lake Steinhagen. Yeah. And um, I never got to actually take a look at it. I told him to bring it to me, but he told me um, that flipping through that journal, it, would, it was just unbelievable. Uh, the species that they would harvest and all that. So, man, and it's it's funny because you hear a lot of this stuff from from these older guys, and it's hard to believe. You know, it's like, man, there's no way. But you can imagine if if their winters were much harsher up north in the prairie potholes and and down into Oklahoma and northern Texas, those birds would just keep skipping down. You know, those mallards, yeah. they wouldn't be holding up in Arkansas and Oklahoma. They'd be coming. They'd be coming far south. And it was I, now I heard this all growing up was that mallards were the most populous uh, species. Yeah. Definitely and I always, I always found that so hard to believe, but uh, they just, uh, they just don't make it down to us in the numbers that they used to. Yeah. But yeah, huge deal for us in the sense that we just don't kill a lot of them. Yeah. It, 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 they always stick out. If, if, even if I just see one flying it, that, that was a memorable part of my hunt, you know, I'm like, wow, yeah, I saw mallards Absolutely. today, you know, Absolutely. saw greenheads. And I feel like too, by the time they get down here, I don't know. I don't know if um, <clears throat> I haven't killed a really stud, uh, you know, real thick mallard down here in the marsh. Yeah. It just seemed to be like um, like they're coming down here on vacation, you know, like they're yeah. they're gonna hit the beach, and so you know they kind of loosen <laughs> up a little bit. But or they're all all, all uh, beat up from the long journey south, you know. Seems they, to, it <laughs> seems to be the case, man. They didn't I mean, hold up in the corn, uh, in the in the prairie pothole areas. Yeah, one way or another, they 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 lost a little something along the way. Now you you've chased mallards though. You you've gone out of state to chase mallards. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful, man. <laughs> uh, to be able to do that, uh, man. Like I said, going up north and and successfully having a good mallard hunt, um, and you know coming out with a limit of birds that are all just real thick, you know, beautiful greenhead mallards is. That's something, man. That was something completely foreign to me. And it was so satisfying to be able to accomplish, man. We put in a lot of time and effort to, uh, to have success on those hunts. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're a bigger puddle duck. They, they decoy really well. They respond to calls really well. That was the craziest thing about it to me. Um, when we're out there, you know, I'm, I'm not big on, now don't get me wrong. I, I, I got a strap of calls. I use them. Yeah. Um, but I'm not big on, on over communicating with birds and, you know, thinking that, you know, if they haven't responded after a certain point, there's nothing I'm going to do. That's going to bring them in. I'm not just going to sit there and wail on it. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of guys that do that, you know, you can go Terrible. sit out in the marsh and, and just hear just I think, guys just wailing on it. I think the, the culture around duck calling is, is way off. I think, I think with a good spread in the, in the right spot, you can go out there with no calls and kill just as many birds oftentimes. Yeah. So the craziest thing about honey mallards for me was that you know you could it, it almost felt like you were actually talking to them you know you could give wow. them a quack and then they would quack back and just give them a quack and just kind of just real subtle um and just giving them ducky tones you know if you go out there and observe and you just kind of listen to the way they communicate um just giving them just a ducky little quack and you know kind of a little that and hearing them call back to you and watching them respond to it as you're kind of quacking Man, back and cool. forth, back and forth, man. It's amazing. That's something, you know, I'm in the kind of naturals community, birders, herpers, but some in my other outdoor pursuits, you don't get to experience something like that, that, that very intimate, that very intimate experience with the, with the wildlife. We're actually talking to them, you know, that's super cool. Yeah, man. And I, I would hope that, um, 
I would hope that other, you know, waterfowl hunters that have had those experiences, man, like that's that to me right there was, was something that didn't get overlooked. Yeah. Um, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Uh, yeah. that was just such a cool experience aside from, aside from going out and, and, you know, having success and killing a bunch of birds, you know, that to me was, was a big, uh, was a big part of that experience was, uh, you know, having that individual communication with birds and, and doing all that, man, like, man, I, I really hope that, that other hunters get to experience that and appreciate it in the way that, you know, that it's meant to be. That's just, yeah. man, that's just crazy. And it's good to hear this for, for uh, non-hunters as well, because I, a lot of people that don't hunt, they don't, they simply don't understand the hunting experience how you're really, you're in a way you're, you're becoming a part of that ecosystem, you know, that those ducks are a part of, and it's just, it's just a different way of experiencing the outdoors. And then you go home and you, you eat that, that animal, by the way, what's your favorite duck to eat? Oh, my favorite duck to eat, man. Um, I don't think I have one. Just like, all. I ducks. don't have one in particular that sticks out in my mind. Um, seems like pintail are really good. They got that white fat just i just i feel like um you know the way that I, I don't really do a lot of like separation in my freezer yeah so i feel like man a lot of that goes into how you cook it and how you prepare yeah and there's so much i feel like there's just so much and and i hope you know people don't take this the wrong way but the ignorance around like cooking waterfowl i feel like it's so oh, it's a big, um, yeah definitely <laughs> it's a big deal, man. And and once you learn how to how to cook waterfowl and, and duck and goose and you know they're they're a gamey, they're a gamey meat. Yeah. It's uh, part of it for learn, me. Yeah. Once you learn how to cook, you know, your birds, if you if maybe you don't like the gaminess or or maybe that's something that you like. And I think everybody just is like, oh, we got ducks, we're gonna wrap them in bacon and stick them <laughs> yeah, in a jalapeno, you know. Overcook that's, that's, them on the grill where they're yeah, dry and but there's yeah. there's so much out there. Um that I feel like a lot of waterfowlers don't explore. Uh, and I feel like, you know, a big part of the, uh, the waterfowl community nowadays, um, is, is really just in it for the, for the hunt aspect of it. And so I know a lot of guys that won't even take birds home. They don't even, they don't even care for it. They just want to go out there and shoot them and, and, you know, Hey, that's, that's what you want to do. That's fine. I, I don't, I'm not a fan of, uh, of wasting as long as you're not wasting them that, that yeah. I take, I take, uh, issue with, uh, people wasting an animal you harvested that that's, that's, that's a disrespect to the resource. You know, this is a shared resource, these ducks, you know? Yeah. It's, it's already something that we've got, you know, rules and regulations to deal with. Um, you know, it, we have so many things in place to, to preserve this. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's just like, it's so counterintuitive to go out there and do it and to waste, you know, waste your harvest. So uh, I just, for me, it's like, and a lot of these guys will get upset because, oh, we got all these rules and stuff. Well, yeah, we're trying the, the culture is, has got to go on. It's got to be preserved. And so you can't be upset, um, you know, with the rules and the regs, if you're not going to, you know, take advantage of the fact that, you know, you just harvested this animal, you can't let it go to waste. Yeah. Now that was just ingrained in, into me when I was a kid, man, I would, when I was a kid going out of the pellet gun. I would, you know, shoot, well, I called them Chi Chi birds. Now I know they were, I mean, I'm not even going to say what they were, <laughs> um, but I would eat everything. I, I would, I would, I would cook everything I, I killed, you know? And um, so to me, seeing any animal wasted is just like, wow. And it's such a missed opportunity too. 
Um, you know, the, yeah, the, even the, some of these animals taste really good. Even like some of the divers people don't like to eat. If you actually, you know, put some time into learning how to cook wild game, um, even some of the divers that aren't as aren't as popular, say Scott, for example, they eat well if you know how to cook them right. Yeah, they're, that those two things go hand in hand, you know, and there's there's really simple like recipes that you can do. You could maybe learn one or two and, you know, you're not going to no, I, I don't think the uh, the average Joe waterfowl hunter is going to go out and have a, a meat problem, you know, yeah. where they have too much too much uh, meat in the freezer right. from uh, waterfowl hunting. But, you know, for those times where, you know, you got a little bit left in the freezer and you want to cook them. I mean, there's there's a couple of easy recipes that if you would just kind of educate yourself on a little bit you know you could eat once or twice a month or you know once a month or something and you, you know it's not something you'd have to do every single day and get tired of so it's more you know to me it's like a, just a novelty to be able to eat wild game we, we still live in a time where we can go out and harvest wild game like like so many people have done in human history you know we don't it's just different when you eat an animal that that was that was born in the wild versus a farmed animal and it, that just fascinates the hell out of me. That's why when I see people wasting wild game, I'm just like, man, how do you do that? You know, that just, you know, that, that animals, maybe it tastes gamey, but that, that's like the cool part to me. You can tell this wasn't from a farm or, you know, from a, a, a processing plant or something, a meat processor or whatever. Um, this thing came straight from that wetland and that, that's the cool mm -hmm. part to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The satisfaction of, of having harvested that animal too when you sit at the table is is yeah something that needs to factor into that thought process man we were um we were at porter no we were at tanner's yesterday and uh we cooked some some greater canada breasts oh man man we cooked like um uh, i think we had like five we cooked as you know as steaks you know just marinated them seasoned them up and straight off the bird and onto the pit and they came they traveled all the way they were harvested all the way in montana Damn. And yeah, and the, the craziest thing, I was sitting there eating <clears throat> and I had a BB in my mouth and I pulled it out and I thought to myself, okay, this bird was taken in Montana and this pellet traveled all the way home inside of the breast of this bird and ended up in my mouth. I'm throwing it in the trash can in Finette, Texas. So yeah, like, it's God. just, that's pretty crazy. It's so it crazy, man. And it tastes a lot that those geese, um, especially if you cook it right, kind of medium rare, tastes a lot like beef, like like a prime steak. Huh? Oh man, they were amazing. They were cooked to perfection. It's it very, very good. And that's the thing too is with with especially with ducks because there's not a lot of fat on them. Um, cooking them medium or medium rare is very important to get some keep some of that moisture, huh? Mm -hmm. A lot of times when we uh, we harvest geese, now I have a harder time doing it with ducks. Um, especially down here. But when we head up North and we harvest geese, I, I took a speckle belly and, uh, and plucked it, kept as much fat on it as I could. And when you cook that down, like say I, I cooked that one in a crock pot, when you cook that down and all that fat gets in there and you just slow cook it, man, that, that fat does a lot yeah. for the flavor on those birds. Tastes really good. Mm -hmm. now, from now on, I mean, it, it can get to be a kind of a pain in the ass if you're killing a lot of birds. Um, I don't care to pluck every bird, but I want to at least pluck the breast and always keep mm -hmm. the skin on when, when I'm filleting the breast because that's where all the flavor is. The skin and, mm -hmm. and then the skin holds in the fat, and it just it, when you when you cook it right, it's like a it just it tastes a lot better than just um, peeling. Like we usually peel the skin back, fillet the right. breast out, and then you got a, a fatless piece of very lean red meat. 
tastes it's good Very. still. But after eating it with the skin on, I don't know how I've gone all this time with, with doing that without without leaving the skin on. Um, but that that after trying that, it totally changed my view. I'm always gonna eat ducks with the skin on from now on. Yeah, and it's funny that you can get you can get new perspectives on um on something that you've been doing your whole life. Cause I know we've been hunting for so long and I still get new perspectives and, and learn new things even now. Yeah. And, uh, man, that's just, that's such a great part of the experience. It's got, you gotta be open-minded. A lot of people are very stuck in their ways, especially hunters, very yeah. stuck in their ways. They're, they're happy hunting the same pond, using the same spread, calling the same way, doing everything the same their entire life, but they're missing out on a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it, it can work in certain situations, but yeah. it's, uh, it's a constantly changing game, man. Yeah. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's, let's go right into, uh, bayou dragons. What are the bayou dragons? Okay. So I've, uh, I've worked on the answer to this question for a all while. Right, all right. There you go. Um, <clears throat> and I, I still don't have a great one, man. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I got it. I got, we, I can answer my own question, but we're going to let you go first. Cause you're more. Okay. Into all right. Well, you're so part we, of it. Uh, we decided, man, when we were like in high school, uh, we always kind of wanted to have our own like brand. Yeah. And we wanted to represent ourselves as a group and, and kind of just take what we do. Cause like, we have a lot of fun, man. Like, I, I think I got a, like the best, just the best group of friends. And like, even people that I don't hang out with all the time, like I'm sitting here talking to you right now. And, uh, so like when we get together, man, we always, we always have a great time. And that was something that we wanted to like, present to people you know and show everybody that i feel like the stigma around having a brand was like everybody kind of loses the originality and we were like no nah, let's just do it let's do our thing and um fast forward a couple of years you know we, we always talked about it and one day my brother came to me and he was like um he's like man i, I really want to do this like let's let's actually do it let's stop talking about it so i said okay and so i i told him i was like you know there's there's zero risk involved in doing this you know, as a start, like, I think the main thing everybody was kind of worried about some criticisms and yeah, people what people think, dumb, you know, and social so, media has, is a, it's got a stigma to it. Yeah. So we took, um, we took a group of five guys, which is just kind of the bare bones crew of the Bayou dragons. And, um, you know, that was, we wanted to start a brand. Um, we were trying to figure out what we were going to call it. And, Bayou Dragons came up. It was something that my brother and his friends called themselves in high school because they just run around on the bayou all the time. Yeah, yeah. But back in high school, I was I was an honorary Bayou Dragon. I would run around with them, yeah. and they they would back then they would consider me part of it, but uh, not not officially though. <laughs> yeah, well, I had to work my way into it, man, and I'm blood I'm blood bound to it. But um, so yeah, we we decided let's do it, and so we we got started. Um, I think our biggest start was was kind of with the TikTok. Uh yeah. we started a a TikTok and then <clears throat> my brother was running the TikTok. It yes. started as Bayou Dragons. Uh he re re kind of branded it as his personal account and then uh we went back to we were like all right, we're all in on the dragon. So it was, there was kind of a period there where we didn't really we were kind of unsure about it and then um the TikTok kind of took off. Mitch was a mastermind of the TikTok. Yeah, so a my lot of this can Mitch, be attributed to Mitch and his his creativity and his camera skills. You know, and y'all's gro y'all's growth on TikTok anyway. Yeah, so the the TikTok was a big deal, and I think it was really just original on his part. He just did his own thing, and um, you know, and some of the stuff he did, a lot of people thought was silly and dumb, and he got a lot of criticism. But he was just like, ah, oh, whatever, just kept doing it. You know, and, 
here we are now it's just uh bayou dragons is just a group of guys man we're just friends that hang out and we one day decided man let's um let's start filming man let's let's get a camera out there and start doing some photography and videography and you know kind of share that with people and you know since then we've started a i wouldn't say a clothing line but we sell uh we sell apparel we sell shirts and hats and we've uh partnered with some uh with a, a game call company, uh, sure shot and started producing some duck calls and, yep. and some other cool stuff. So, and it's, it's been fun, man. It's been so fun to, to share all of our experiences and our personal experiences with uh, social media. And yeah, we've got a, we've got a great fan base, man. A, a lot of great followers and yeah, man, it's just been Super fantastic, cool, man. As someone that, that has always kept up with social media, I guess you probably know that I've always, I have a very uh, niche lifestyle and that's the only way I've been able to connect with people. Um, as someone who's, who, who is, has always paid attention to social media. It was cool watching Mitch in particular kind of, kind of ease into it a little bit and he wasn't really sure. And then, um, and then he just, ex- that TikTok just exploded, man. And and then it carried over to Instagram and y'all, y'all all kind of, you know, rallied around it. And, and now, man, like y'all got your own, Y'all collaborated on a duck call with SureShot. Yeah. So the dude, people that, that the people that um, cool. that that talk shit, you know, you know, jokes on them because yeah, y'all are really killing it now. Well, man, I, I personally had a lot of people like friend, like close friends of mine that would tease me about it. And that was something that, you know, I get it as a as a friend that you would, you know, mess with your buddies and stuff. But that was something where I, I didn't I didn't give on that. You know, that was like I I would take that personally and you know, cause that was something that we were doing that we really believe in. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're like, man, I had to tune a lot of that stuff out and, and just kind of keep on driving it. And, you know, now those same guys are calling me, Hey man, let me get a hat. <laughs> let me get a shirt. Yep. And it's, it's like, yep. man, that's how it goes. Yeah. You got to imagine a lot of the big, um, sort of, uh, social media hunting brands probably went through the same thing in their, in their personal lives, you know, people looking down on them for, giving into social media and chasing clout or whatever, but it's so worth it, man. That look at the experiences y'all get to have now. Um, and y'all are going to get cool hunting connections. I'm sure eventually y'all already have really. But- well, yeah. And I, I think, um, I think my favorite thing about all this is that everybody here is, is just like-minded in the fact that, you know, we're not trying, we're not doing anything different. No. Uh, we're still doing all the same things that we stand for. And, and that's just what we're showing to people. And, uh, you know, we're exposing our lifestyle and just putting it out there for everyone to see. And, uh, you know, if they don't like it, that's fine. If they, yeah. and obviously a lot of people do, so it's nothing different. We haven't changed for anybody. We're just doing our thing. And, uh, everybody that's a part of this is in agreement that, you know, we don't want anything out of this. Like we have a vision for it, like where we want to be years from now, like what it could be. But everything that we accomplish gets reinvested into, you know, the brand and, yeah. and nobody, nobody wants, nobody's got their hand out. We're all part of this together, man. And, yeah. and hopefully, um, you know, I'm sure some of these other big brands that have gotten to that point, you know, if we ever do get to that point, hopefully everybody keeps that same mindset. And I think, I think we got a good group of guys, man. Seeing y'all's growth over the past year, I, I see y'all going pretty far with it. I really do. Um, just based off of like, I've, I've been keeping up with like back in the swamp, early swamp assassin days, it's kind of looking like, kind of like how they did it. You know, they kind of started off slow, but then it, man, it just exploded out of nowhere. 
that's kind of what y'all what y'all have done yeah and i i really don't think like i know there's been a lot of a lot of companies and a lot of brands that have have done this obviously we're not the first to do it but there's not really a mold for like what we're doing you know uh winging it (laughs) we're just a little bit different man we're kind of trying to and i mean without even trying we're just just being original we're being ourselves there's not another another brand out there that's like us you know we've we've had some people uh we've had some we've seen some people that do uh that have kind of started riding our wave, man. There's really? been some accounts come up and, and guys doing the videos like you'll see Mitchell do with the, uh, you know, shotgun beer, taking a pinch of snuff or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, man, it's, it's been cool. It's been a great experience. We're coming out on YouTube uh, tomorrow. We're going to drop our first uh, introduction into our series where we get to know everybody and, you know, in, in depth uh, per member and kind of get some more context and personality to it. Yeah. That'll be a that'll be a step in a new direction for us on YouTube. Now that's now that's your baby, YouTube, right? Yeah. So I'll um so we we kind of delegate all the work among each member has their own job, and I've got YouTube. And uh man, it's been uh it's been tough, man. It's it's been challenging, it's been satisfying, there's been ups and downs, and uh mainly just trying to put out content that I'm proud of and that you know everybody's proud to put their name on. And so yeah, we're taking that step tomorrow, man. That's uh it's going to be posted and you know, you're, everyone's going to get to know us really. Um, Cause there's been not a lot of context around our individual personalities. And so I think that'll be a good way to really get in touch with the audience. Yeah. Yeah. So far it's just been, it's just been uh, yeah. Kind of filming the experience itself, you know, and putting music to it and which is really cool. Um, and it, that's really a big, to me, the big part of body dragons is, um, just showing people the whole experience, not just, you know, posting a pile of ducks or, you know, kill shots of ducks. It's, it's, it's the whole outdoor experience for a couple of outdoorsmen that grew up in Southeast Texas. Yeah. And I think it's really important that like at this point we're well-established on TikTok and Instagram, but I think a like a better foundation would be, you know, to, to let everybody get to know us, you know, yeah. and, and that's what, that's what a lot of our, our followers are here for is for us. You know, we go live and we get a lot of love for everybody saying, you know, like, Oh, Hey, uh, we'll be in the live. And somebody be like, Hey, what's up, Matt? Or hey, what's yeah. up, Mitch? And, you know, so they kind of have an idea of who we are, but I really want our, our audience to get to know us. And yeah. I think that'll be a better foundation. And, you know, the times are always going to be changing, you know, this, this TikTok thing could just fall through tomorrow, you know, right. and especially where would TikTok. we be? Yeah, where would we be? It's it's very shifty, and there's a lot of things that we can't show on TikTok, and so this will kind of open us up to show y'all a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of uh, great opportunities on YouTube, you know, to to show more of the experience. Yeah, and we're working with it. We kind of we kind of rush some content out there off the bat, and then we we have meetings about twice a month where we discuss, uh, you know, what we're doing on social media, where we're at with the uh, with the apparel and stuff, and just kind of as a whole, what we're doing as a, as a brand. And, uh, that was something that we discussed was that we need to, we need to really build up our foundation and let everybody know, you know, who we are. Yeah. So YouTube is going to be our outlet into doing that. I think, honestly, I think you were the best person for this because you, you, you're, real so, good at, you're real good I, at talking and stuff. And, um, like the vlog style YouTube, I think will suit you really well. Yeah, I hope so, man. I, I I've been told that, and yeah, I, I just have high expectations for myself as well. I really don't want to let anybody down, so I think that's gonna 
help me drive that in the right direction. Yeah. Cool deal, man. Um, anything else you want to say about Bayou Dragons? Oh uh, man, no, that's it. Check <clears throat> us out on uh, on Instagram, TikTok, and check out our YouTube channel, Bayou Dragons on everything. It's a lot of fun. I'm happy to be friends with y'all. Um, and and it's just yeah, cool watching y'all do y'all's thing. Let's see here. Um, we're, we're closing in on an hour. Let's let's uh, let's let's go over some of these Instagram questions. How does that sound? Okay, yeah, let's hear them. Some of, this, some of the easy stuff here. Uh, let's see, I had some good stuff here. Where did uh, oh, there you go. And you don't got to be too long winded on these. All right, so so my buddy on asked, you know, like some of the basics. How do you find spots? Like for people that don't know anything about duck hunting, want to get into duck hunting, they're sold on on this episode of, and we're talking about duck hunting. They want to go out. How do you find spots on public land? How do you approach landowners? What gear is absolutely essential to kill ducks? Um, you know, what do you do when you get an injured bird? Um, what, what do you say to some of those questions? Uh, okay, so first and foremost, I'm going to start with uh, how do you find birds and, and how do you find places to hunt? So down here, there's like a there's a mold for that. You have you know where you can hunt on public, and you know you know the rules and regs of that particular that, area. That's very important. You got to go on the website for that refuge, figure out yes. what days it's open, yes. what parts of the refuge are, are open to hunting. Cause there, some of them are, some of the tracks are closed. All that stuff's very important to, to do your research on. So as far as that goes for public land hunting, you, you kind of, you get funneled into the right direction. You'll know, you know, where you can hunt on what hunt units and, just in our area, it's, it's kind of a given that you're not going to be able to go knock on doors and, and get permission from landowners. It's, it's really tough down here. A lot of the stuff stays uh, leased up, you know, every year. And so it's harder to do that in our area, but um, you know, once you, once you find those, those public land uh, opportunities for you to go and hunt from that point forward um, with the way that the scouting goes around here and the inability to scout throughout the season, uh, you have a period, I, I believe, you know, up to X amount of days before season opens for you to get out and scout on the refuge. But from that point forward in the regular season, you're not allowed to go in and do any scouting, um, you know, during the regular waterfowl season. So a lot of that has to be done while you're out there hunting. So you may have a few dud hunts. You may go out there with, with no expectation. You may want to lower that expectation the first few times you go into a new area uh, that's public land getting out there and, and, you know, kind of seeing, are there birds here? Um, do we expect any birds? Is there, how's the weather up North and, and all that stuff plays into it as well. So I think just mainly down here for public land, I'd say trial and error and just yeah. making observations while you're out there in the field. Being very, uh, you see, being very observant. That, that's, that's very important to me is be really observe your surroundings. Yeah. You're, you're going to be out there. Um, you know, you're going to, have your, your prime shooting hours and, you know, you're out there for a couple of hours. If you've spent, I know a lot of times down here, we'll have to go out there and spend all night. Uh, if we gotta, if we want to get where we're going to be. So if you're going to spend, yeah, if you're gonna spend 12, 13 hours out there in the marsh, you know, for those two to three hours, you need to make sure that you're really observing, uh, what's going on out there and you'll, you'll have better success that way. Yeah. Now I will say once you start working your way up to the North and, and getting into a little bit more spaced out, uh, country where, you know, you have public or private land opportunities. It gets a little bit easier uh, to go and, and knock on people's doors. And when you're approaching a, a private landowner, the best advice I could give you is just to 
you know, obviously be humble, be respectful. Um, and, uh, that'll, that'll take you a long way, man. Uh, talking to these people, these are people, uh, this is not, this is not some person that, you know, you're entitled to go and hunt on their land. If they allow you to go out there and hunt, it's out of the goodness of their heart, or maybe, maybe they'll expect something in return from you, but they hold all the cards. So just approach them. Uh, if you get the opportunity, be respectful and, um, and yeah, just, and be respectful of, you know, the fact that you're on their land. If you gain that access, you know, respect their land, uh, respect the birds, man, respect the, uh, the wildlife and, and just every part of it. And you gotta be mindful of all that. And you've had some positive experience doing experiences doing that and up North. Oh, absolutely. I've got, uh, I've got some landowners that I met and talked to one time and I've got their numbers saved in my phone and, you know, I've called and talked to them since and just yes. told them thank you and, and offered, you know, Hey, I come, I'm going to come back out there. I'm going to, I'm going to buy you. We'll, we'll go eat breakfast or something. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Give me a shout <laughs> next time you come back. So just building positive relationships with people will take you a long way. And that's cool. And that's just, that all adds to the experience. As you were saying earlier, the people go a long way. Yeah. Just, uh, just having people skills will take you a long people way. Skills, um, yeah. yeah. It can be intimidating that, walking up to an old farmer's door and, and you know, asking to hunt. Oh, and they're, they're not all, they're not all, uh, you know, there's all kinds of people out there. You know, (laughs) you're not going to find one type of person, every door you go knock on, there's going to be people that don't want you there, but just keeping, just being respectful. Even, even if you get turned down, just being respectful. Um, because you never know, um, there may be an opportunity for another waterfowler, just like you, uh, and this guy has had to turn down 10 people and just based off of his experience with you, if you're respectful, he turns you down, you know, he may change his mind in the future. If he has another yeah. young guy that comes in a young guy or girl or whoever that comes in and is respectful and say, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll let you hunt out of here or something. Yeah. So just keeping a good, a good <clears throat> reputation for, for the community as well. And one more from on what gear is, is absolutely essential to kill ducks. And let's assume that you got access to walk in. So we're gonna add boat. We're gonna add boat in there. Okay. So um, absolutely essential to kill ducks, man. Uh, I think I'm gonna take that question into. I don't. I don't know if if I have just like a like a firm answer for that. I would. I would kind of interpret that and and answer that in the sense that what apparel is essential for like you waiters stuff like yeah that. just to just to to make the hunt easier and and to take as much stress off of you as possible um even on even on some boat ends i'd say a jet sled is, is a big deal okay being yeah. able to pack all your gear and not have to be loaded down and carry all your stuff um jet sled would be something that i would say is is a very big deal um layout blinds in an opportunity in a situation where you can use a layout blind you know, I'm, I'm going to say that that's my answer. Really? In okay. a situation where you can use a layout blind and you can and brush yourself in that way, you're going to be absolutely invisible. Okay. Now, well, this is an answer for hunters. What, what about for non-hunters? Never hunted before. Bare bones. What do they need to kill ducks? I think that's what the question's mainly trying to get at. Uh, bare bones. You want to kill ducks. You need a dozen, say, say like a dozen decoys, a gun, waders, you know, this sort of thing. Oh, well, for the basics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Gun Very bare bones uh, basics. Yeah. Yeah. Quality shotgun shells. Um, you don't want to shoot something that's going to gunk up your shotgun. You want to prolong the life of your shotgun. You want to shoot quality shells. Um, having a good, comfortable pair of waders and a good pair of boots. 
no no leaky huge. waders that, that'll ruin your experience in the yeah cold. and and not only that um you know keeping your feet comfortable yeah. i can't tell you how many times and i've i've i don't know why it took me so long but i hunted in the worst old boots man and my feet were destroyed for about a year man it was yeah. so bad and yeah so but just just making sure that um you know you've got a good pair of waders and a good yeah. comfortable pair of boots that's not going to slip off your feet in the mud that'll take you a long way a good um, hunting jacket good hunting jacket's very important too a good waterproof insulated yeah. hunting jacket yeah waterproof insulated you want to have uh you know pockets where you can you can put your phone and, and some of your important essential items to keep those dry um and that's the last thing you want to have to worry about when you're out right. there is if you get yourself in a bind uh you know your phone's wet it's right. it maybe raining it's pouring down rain and you can't call for help so that's that's definitely an essential are, the marsh is a is a harsh environment to be in it's it's it's, it's all it's wet hostile. cold you know especially late in the winter it's cold uh of course this winter has been very cold but usually it's very cold out there and it's it's wet and it's muddy. And so gear, you know, I'm not a big gear head or anything, but this, this season I did invest in, and in breathable waders that the key with breathable waders is they're thinner. Um, you know, we're hiking a lot. You, you, they're, they're stocking waders. So you don't, you don't, you don't got to wear the clunky boot waders. And to me, the breathable waders are, are superior to any neoprene waders, although they don't have as much uh, insulation. They, they don't warm you up as much. I really do yeah, like the breathable waders hunting the Texas coast because we don't get that cold here. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, you're able to insulate more under breathable waders than yep. you would you can under neoprene. And so, yeah, I think that's a good one for sure. Uh, dry box. Dry box. Just yeah. A, yeah, a dry box would be good. Um, good thing to add to that list. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've tried a bunch of different waterproof blind bags and they, you know, didn't turn out to be waterproof. And, uh, you know, maybe I didn't shoot 50 shells, but I brought 50 with me and I ended up wasting 40 of them because they got right. wet and rusty. And then yeah. they were duds from that point forward. I had that happen to me this year. Really? A group of about 60 or 70 green wings came right down the pipe and I had two dud shells that both clicked and that third one fired and took one oh, bird out of the group. Just one, you know, yeah. Shell bag uh way good pair of waders preferably breathable waders where you, you buy uh wading boots to go with it and for me I, i'm I'm short and i got big feet so so boot waders never worked out for me either mm. either the boot either the waders are too short and the boots too big or the other way around you know yeah i'm just proportionally different so it's nice to have an anomaly right <laughs> like a hobbit uh, so the, the stocking waders where you buy, um, boots separately is, is ideal for me. Um, you know, good hunting jacket, um, you know, camouflage isn't, you know, it, it may make some difference, but if you're covered up well, you know, you can, you, I guarantee you can go out to the marsh if you're covered up well and wear, you know, hardwood camouflage and you'd probably still kill ducks. But, yeah. If you're wearing, if you're wearing natural tones for yes. the situation that you're going to be in you're going to be okay um but the main thing if if it Cover. comes down to your camo being the problem you're not covered you're not you're not covered good enough exactly so that's, that's the thing um and you know back in the day people they, they would just wear like flannel you know like they didn't even have camouflage back in the day. They just wore flannel stuff and they killed ducks just the same although those ducks weren't near as smart but yeah, you want to prepare for that as best you can. I mean, sometimes you don't know what the cover is going to be like. If you're going to go right. try a new spot, you might so have to be open. 
Lamar. Yeah, you you want to be as as well prepared as you can be with your with your camouflage and make sure you're doing the best that you can. But yeah, oftentimes if if you know if you know you can go that extra mile and cover yourself up, then camo is not the issue. Yeah, definitely. I've I've, I've like watching uh like flooded timber hunts like on the internet and stuff, hunting those sort of habitats. You wouldn't want to wear any sort of marsh camo because then you would you'd be a yellow highlighter in the middle of the the woods. Yeah, man, I've even, I've even noticed in in recent years, man, with the um, wearing marsh camo in the marsh sometimes Stands sticks out. out. Yeah, yeah, with with how green it's it'll stay with you know maybe not having that cold weather, everything stays right. you know green and healthy More and vibrant. And yeah, yeah, you're in this green, super vibrant green marsh wearing a brown. You know, you just kind of kind of got to roll with the punches, man, and that that's, that's why covers cover so important. In, yeah. Cover so important, and yeah, hunting out of layout blinds. I've only done it once, and it was with was with Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mitch is, is Matt's older brother, also good friends with Mitch. Um, we hunted out of layout blinds, and and man, that was cool. The ducks came so close. It's it's, it's amazing. It's, it it it's totally a different experience than any other hunting because yeah, when you have you the see your silhouette, you're laying flat on your back in this little blind. You're you're warm. You're cozy. You just pop up and shoot ducks that are, you know, right, right in your face. It's just amazing. Yeah, that that changes. It's it's such a positive uh, piece of, of equipment if you can apply it. Yeah, you're gonna get better shots on birds. You're gonna have a higher success rate. Um, you're gonna leave less birds wounded. I mean, you're just gonna your opportunity is gonna be so much better. And uh, man, that's just that's my favorite way to hunt. Yeah, I love hunting out of layout blinds. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's. I mean, they were, they were decoying so close. I was miss, missing a lot of shots because I wasn't used to shooting ducks so close. You know, it was yeah, crazy. yeah. It's, you you become the marsh. Yeah, I mean, even to somebody passing by, they they would never know you're there. No, and when you the layup line, just for people listening, trying to trying to describe here, it's basically you're 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 laying down on your back. You're in this in this blind. You know, it's made out of some waterproof materials, camouflage, and uh, it opens up. So you lay in it, you close it up and just your head's out of it. And then when ducks are coming, you open up, pull up, shoot. But then you add natural foliage, natural grass over it. That way you're just invisible in the marsh and the ducks have no idea you're there. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. But it is, you know, kind of a pain to, to haul them around. That's the only thing. They're, some of them are kind of clunky, but. Yeah, it. we got to run. We got to run like ratchet straps over the front of the boat. But yeah. the good thing that we do with those is we're able to pack a lot of stuff inside of them. When we're okay. Running. Yeah. Yeah. True that. And I forget about that. <clears throat> see here well man you got any um we've covered a lot you got any closing stuff you want to talk about anything by dragons if not man we, we can end it here oh no man i'm thanks for having me on dude i i really enjoyed getting to sit down and talk with you man yeah this was your first first you, podcast right yeah first podcast for me man uh you're I a natural I, I think you did really well i think people enjoy this oh well i listen to a lot of <laughs> podcasts myself okay. so i kind of kind of have an idea of what we're doing here but uh yeah, man. Hey, gotcha. thanks for having me on, dude. And and for all of your uh, listeners out there, glad I got to come on and uh, chat with you guys. If y'all want to get to know me or, or any of my, my brand and you guys that I'm working with, y'all check us out, man. Bayou Dragons on uh, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Y'all come over and see what we're about. Check them out. And, and I'll be uh, hanging out with y'all hopefully this weekend. Yeah. Give me a shout, man. I'll be on nights, but uh, oh, we're, supposed come be, on. we're supposed to be shooting some footage uh, during the day before I head into work. So, I don't know, man. It's been crazy. 
getting this thing fired up uh <laughs> spending a lot of time behind the camera and behind this computer so yeah all right brother i'm gonna go and end it here uh, you can hang around we can we can chat after but um thanks again man yeah hey man thank you for having me yep till next time